0: Hello and welcome to another Aegis Accounting Podcast. Uh, This week we've got a couple of things to talk about. We're talking about the change to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We're talking about uncertainty and how to handle that in a small business. And uh, the Lean Canvas, a very efficient way of doing a one-page plan for a business or product or service. And uh, uh, hopefully you'll find some uh, interest in these three things going to keep it really brief with the news about the new Chancellor because to be honest I think the only thing it really means for a new business is delay. Um, <laughs> there were a whole bunch of changes that were proposed, it was part of the Tory manifesto, it was part of what the Chancellor said they were doing. Many of those things are somewhat delayed because a change in Chancellor this close to a new budget means he's got to bed into the role uh, before some of these things can happen. Uh, As far as I can tell, there are still a couple of things that are um, supposed to happen in time for the budget for 2020, although hopefully we will hear about that as planned early in March. Um, What's uh, planned? One of the things that's planned is probably most going to affect people who are in the small business, especially if you're planning on selling your business, is uh, entrepreneurial relief. Uh, entrepreneurial relief was one of these things that uh, was supposed to cut the capital gains tax applicable when you sell your business uh, from 20 to 10 percent but that's either going to be cut or scrapped um, as of I assume from 2020 so we'll keep a close eye on that and see whether we can tell what's going to happen. I hope we'll have some announcements soon uh, that was planned, I think it was 10th or 11th of March, but obviously, search UK budget and you'll get the latest news. And hopefully, we can figure out what's going on with that. If you aren't planning to sell a business, it won't make much difference, but uh, it seems like it's a controversial thing because the UK has tried to be a, an attractive place uh, to start up um, and to have a serial uh, start up, so an entrepreneur. From the perspective of what I traditionally understand the term to mean, uh, rather than the perhaps new way we use the word for anyone in business. Uh, It used to be someone who would buy and sell businesses serially, or you know many many businesses, uh, uh, got a good idea, build it, start it, get it to profit, and then sell the business for someone else to grow into a profitable uh, business from the point at which you sell it. That's what I used to understand entrepreneur to mean. Um, I know the term is used slightly differently now to mean almost anyone who does (laughs) anything to do with business, which doesn't quite seem right. But for those people who do make and then sell their startups, this is effective if it is going to be going back from 10% to 20%, that's an extra 10% tax on the sale of your business. That's quite a big jump, it's not a few percent, it's not not a small tweak, that's quite big. Uh, So I'm... Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great thing to me, Uh, that's my perspective. Maybe you feel differently, Uh, maybe you think that it's not a problem, who knows. But it's certainly something that the current new Chancellor of the Exchequer has still identified as a priority for the spring budget. So we probably will see that in some form. I don't know whether it will be a cut or whether it will be a reduction or whether it will be scrapped altogether, who knows. Um, But that's going to be something that will be changing. As for everything else, we're starting to get uh, rumours and speculation that other things will be delayed until the autumn budget, which I hope will happen this year. So, we'll see what really happens uh, as the year unfolds. Um, however, one other thing that the new Chancellor of the Exchequer has uh, apparently has been referred to as a bit of a gaffe, and it's to do with that thing we talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks, IR35. Um, that bunch of uh, legislation that um, or approach that HMRC has to whether you should be paying um, the kinds of taxes an employee uh, and the levels of tax and national insurance uh, for an employee, even if you're a limited company, um, just as a, basically a personal service company, which affects a whole bunch of workers. They uh, promised a review just before the election, and we haven't heard anything about that review. Uh, It's being referred to as a bit of a gaffe, as the new Chancellor has said that he has discussed with the HMRC that they should have a softly, softly approach for the first year of IR35 um, changes that were due to come into effect for the private sector uh, as of uh, April 2020. More on that on the video recently uh, with IR35 in the title, go look for that, Uh, there's more to do with those changes there but this basically suggests that the outcome of the review is already decided and that there will be no change, because otherwise why would you say that the legislation has to be enacted softly uh, if you think it might be under review and might be removed. So it's being referred to as a bit of a gaff. I don't know, that might be a bit strong, but it certainly seems consistent with the idea that I put forward before that this is not something that's going to go away, The IR35 legislation and. Uh, making you pay taxes if you were an employee, even if you've chosen to set up as a limited company for, to provide your services. Um, that's something they have been moving to for a very long time, over a decade, and I don't think it's going to go away. I think the review will absolutely produce nothing. So that's my opinion, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yes, there's, uh, there is at least um, the Acknowledgement that it's tricky for a private, maybe a small business, with employees who are on limited company contracts, working through limited company contracts. It's tricky for them to understand what they should now do to ensure that they are being uh, treating those essentially employee-like contractors uh, correctly. And there are loads of open questions with HMRC that they haven't yet answered. It's unclear how they're going to deal with it. I know there's even been questions in the House of Lords as to whether they can really press ahead with this. Um, amid the uncertainty as to what it means so there's going to be plenty of news and, and, and you know more demonstrations at Westminster I'm sure before this whole thing is sorted but again I don't think it's going away I think it's coming uh, it has been for a very long time so I don't think anything new will come from that review anyway moving on the only other thing that will come from the new uh, Chancellor being installed in the middle of February close to uh, budget time Is uncertainty. Um, We have to deal with a lot of uncertainty as small businesses, especially in the current political and economic climate. Uh, There's a lot of changes that affect us at least at an arm's length basis. Maybe not immediately, maybe not right on your doorstep, maybe not how you operate day-to-day, but you know there are big changes in the environment around us. Um, And so that takes on to the next topic. How do you continue to work as a small business in an environment with a huge amount of uncertainty and I wanted to draw on something that I'm sure lots of people know about already um, but also that I've encountered um, back in project management days um, and it's called SWOT analysis and it's an incredibly uh, easy idea uh, to uh, learn about but you have to actually apply it if you're going to benefit. It is uh, a way of looking at uh, yourself and the outside world uh, to decide it's sort of risk management is a, a good approach for risk management, um, but yes, yeah, so SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you can literally take a piece of paper, split it up into four, put the headings on each strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and you can consider each in turn. Um, your own strengths and your own weaknesses. If you can get some feedback from people, that can be quite helpful. That might be an individual's strengths and weaknesses if you're you know, a, a very small business. But if there's more of you, you're, you're thinking more of the business context. What are your business's strengths and weaknesses? Um, and looking outside of your business at the opportunities and threats, uh, it's helpful to have a bit of a, a guide. It's another acronym. It's called PESTLE. Um, which can help you to analyse what kinds of opportunities or threats you might be uh, needing to consider or monitor on an ongoing basis. If we are thinking about ongoing risk, uh, then uh, risk that a threat may occur or the probability that an opportunity may arise, I think the sort of flip side of the same coin here, um, then using this PESL analysis to think through a couple of pretty fine categories can be very helpful. So in PESL P stands for political Uh, So you, good time for that. Lots of political change, uh, lots of upheaval, uh, changes to advisors, uh, crazy stuff going on in in government over a very short space of time. The political risk or opportunity to your small business over the last year and a half, two years, five years really, uh, has been pretty big. Um, If it is something that has any impact on your business uh, directly or or nearby, Uh, maybe it doesn't maybe whatever you do normally isn't affected, but many businesses are, so considering the political element of risk uh, or opportunities or such it's very useful. Uh, the other is um, economical, so there was of course the economic crash in 2008, uh, the credit crunch and so on which had vast effect, uh, ripples effect uh, ripple effects across the economy. That's the kind of economic risk that you need to think about, so you might be protecting against a future downturn, Uh, It might be protecting yourself against um, that or exposing yourself to a future upturn. Uh, Maybe there are investments that you think would be wise to make in order to benefit from an upside that you think is on the horizon in terms of the economy. So thinking through that aspect for opportunities and threats to your business can be very useful. Uh, Social, that's the uh, uh, S in pestle for uh, social things. There's an awful lot of social change um, that you might want to consider it might be social change like a change in the uh, availability of EU migrant workers over the coming years. It's very clear to me that there'll be a distinct shift in that so if your business relies heavily on local EU workers like the NHS then you have a social issue to deal with. Granted it's come from political aims but it is a social change that is a a knock-on effect. Um, Other social changes might be who has access to uh, disposable income compared to another generation ago. So, for example, if you uh, were in business as the uh, baby boom generation, uh, maybe they were your customers, then there's a big social difference between that generation and, say, the millennials generation. Um, And so considering the social aspects and how they might be changing, again, might be something to consider when you're thinking about opportunities or threats uh, for your business. The T is for technology. Again, lots of change in technology, um, especially over the recent years um, as, you know, the advent of cloud computing and cloud technology, uh, things like voice assistants, which we've taken advantage of here at Aegis, Uh, these kinds of things are modern changes. Uh, They're not always predictable, um, but they are things that can change, that may present new opportunities or new uh, new threats to your business. Uh, for example, you may, there may be a, uh, what do they called, a disruptor. There may be a technological disruptor to your business. Uh, how will you protect against that being a possible future thing? Maybe you you yourself as a business will need to invest in technology. So these things are important to consider. Uh, L. Legal. I'm not very good at this bit because I'm not legally trained uh, and chances are you might not be very good at this because you're not legally trained. So how will you protect yourselves against um, legal issues? Uh, mostly the law is arranged about around principles you probably already understand. So it, yeah, do the right thing uh, probably protects you for most cases, but not Totally. Uh, there may be some legal, from the aspect of regulatory, concerns in your specific environment. Or there may be some uh, potential legal issues that you will have to deal with. What if someone sues you? A good approach would be to have some insurance to deal with that. So think through what may happen in a legal in legal scenarios, also trademarks, um, these kinds of things. Legal protections, these would be good things to think about in the small business in that legal category. Uh, And finally, the environment. Not necessarily ecological, it can be quite literal. Um, Your direct environment. What if your office is in a floodplain? You have a risk to consider, (laughs) especially given our recent weather in the UK. Uh, So you can think outside the box within these categories, but it's helpful to structure your thinking to decide what opportunities and threats might need some ongoing watching, or some mitigating actions. Typically in in project management, we have a handful of common treatments for risks. Uh, You categorise what you're going to do. Sometimes you just watch a risk. Maybe it has a low probability and a low impact, and just every month or so, you review this uh, set of risks. Uh, I think you should review opportunities as well. Um, When you review those as an ongoing basis, maybe you'll just keep an eye on it. Maybe you'll just do a Google search. Has anything changed in this area? Um, but you may also take some mitigating actions. You might take some mitigating actions to reduce the probability of it occurring. You might move your office away from the floodplain, for example, or you might take some actions that absolutely remove the risk, or you may transfer the risk. So, arguably, insurance is transferring the risk. Um, If you are trying to insure yourself against a credit crisis, when that's a systemic problem, you might have found found it hard to claim on the insurance if the insurer then went bust. So it's not a perfect world when you transfer risk, you then have a third party risk to consider. So if you are offloading some risk by transferring it, please do then also consider another category of risk, counterparty risk, what risks happen to them. And that's something that I also think you must really consider when it comes to threats. Think about your suppliers, think about your customers, and what threats do they face because that could be quite a considerable change to your business if all of your suppliers have had something hit them which means that although it's not directly affecting your business day-to-day now your suppliers have a problem which means they can't um, deliver on the promises they've made to you so a little thought about that you may want to have some mitigating actions in case your suppliers are faced with um, significant risks that then Actually, occur. How would you How would you deal with that? So, a lot of my uh, previous uh, work on uh, risks and issues in project management used a similar similar framework to look at. But you would typically use SWOT analysis when you're thinking about maybe your business case for a change you want to make for your business, uh, or maybe uh, it's a new business entirely. It's part of your business planning. It's considering you know um, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, as you decide whether your plan's worth pursuing. It's a handy tool, but the, one of the most important things with any planning tool is that it doesn't die after you've made it. Uh, make it, it's a small document, it's one sheet of paper, make it, refer to it. Um, make it a periodic thing, make it a reminder on your calendar or something to go back and look, uh, to reconsider if anything's missing, to consider if anything can be struck off, it's not important anymore, uh, to consider if the actions that you've put in place are still sufficient or if there are new actions that need to be taken because especially when it comes to opportunities and threats, the, the outside world, uh, it changes. That's the nature of it. So you will need to keep an eye on it um, and feed back into your continuing uh, business planning. You know, What are you going to need to do? Um, so an example is probably worth saying about how, how Aegis has used this. Um, we uh, developed the bean counter so you can use your voice to record your uh, sales, your expenses, and your mileage uh, through Google Assistant. And about the time that we were doing that, uh, one of the reasons that we did that is because we were monitoring, uh, particularly I was monitoring, uh, opportunities and threats. Uh, I was initially going to make a very simple app because we wanted it to be simple, that's the point, simple for the customer to use, simple for our clients, simple for us to maintain. Only it was starting to show that it would be very hard to maintain that uh, working across multiple phones. It just seems to be a very difficult thing to do. I don't know why, Uh, it's just a problem that hasn't really been solved yet. Making applications work on many phones is very, very hard. There will always be someone reviewing it on the Play Store um, saying, I'm sorry my HTC this, that, the other won't run it. Something goes wrong. Um, There are inconsistent uh, implementations of the Android operating system. And that's before we even got to the world of iOS. So I didn't want to... I didn't didn't like that I was going to have to deal with that. Uh, And while I was going to do it anyway, keeping it as simple as possible so that it would hopefully work everywhere, um, the opportunity came to Uh, consider using uh, a voice assistant. Uh, As soon as I was getting all of these development emails, uh, loads of information on there, I was getting some emails uh, that were talking about uh, the adjacent, uh, I guess, industry um, of uh, voice action development for Google Assistant. Uh, And out of interest I had a look uh, and discovered it was going to be easier for me uh, and my specific skill set to develop that then it would be to develop an app and it would be easy for the user to interact with us without even needing an app on the phone uh, which is a a position I've had for a little while that not necessarily yeah apps are not you don't just do an app what's the solution do an app it's not that way Um, if the solution has a better way then use the better way to me this seems like a better way so the opportunity arose, and then we had to change. So that's what analysis. Suddenly there became this opportunity that leveraged more strengths and made things easier. And I had to consider, well, will I take that opportunity? And the answer was yes, to do so. Shortly after that, we have another one. Um, by the way, you often refer to this as a pivot, especially in startup language. Um, Most other people don't, but startups have a specific set of language that they use for these things. They call it a pivot. If you're gearing up a new activity and then you decide that you're going to change direction because either there's a threat that you're facing or an opportunity worth taking, then it's referred to as a pivot. If you want to Google search about um, pivots and startups, you'll probably find a whole whole lot of useful resources if this is something you're considering, because that's the language that they use in that environment. And of course, startups are inherently risky. Often they're very small and they're moonshots, so they really want to either blow up or die and they're going to try and throw everything at this startup, um, which means they pivot often. So they have a lot of resources on, on how, how to pivot, um, give it a search if it's something that you're interested in or something that you're thinking you're going to have to do soon. Uh, there's loads of really helpful articles in the entrepreneurial space, uh, startup space. Uh, Loads of people write prolifically on the subject and with with good expertise, so have a look at that, it's something you're considering. Aegis pivoted away from an app to a voice bot, and then came the second pivot, which was the fact that uh, the uh, challenger um, banks and fintech companies were starting to make inroads into the high street uh, business uh, current account offerings, Um, and there became So keeping an eye on that, so it was part of the analysis knowing that that's what's going on in the world, kept an eye on it, and then an opportunity came up, uh, which was going to make it more easy for us to offer our clients an all-in solution where they can do very little themselves, Um, and for example that's where we found Coconut, while looking at this raft of many challenger banks and challenger um, current account offerings and trying to understand uh, are they going to offer anything special to our clients that makes it worthwhile? Coconut did because, in particular, for us, if they can automatically categorize transactions and offer a platform for accountants, that's a win for both the client and for us. Um, that hasn't been present anywhere else yet, so there was a new opportunity, and we had to decide well, shall we pivot and take advantage of that? And the decision was that we should. Uh, it's more in in line with where Aegis has always been trying to go to be able to make it as easy as possible uh, for our clients to uh, have the benefit of us looking after their um, obligations when it comes to HMRC and tax compliance. So without with little input from them and that's, uh, that makes a huge huge uh, difference so it was something we decided to do. So. In conclusion, on the the uncertainty part, if you want to thrive under uncertainty, which you're going to need to do, especially through 2020, 2021, as we're continuing this raft of changes to do with our relationship with the EU, uh, political upheaval, chancellors changing, budgets getting delayed, all of these things happening, if you want to thrive in that environment, you must be monitoring. opportunities and threats in the world around you uh, with a view to your own strengths and weaknesses and how you may either take advantage of some opportunities or mitigate some of those threats um, and to to pivot if you need to. Um, When I look back at the many forms that Aegis Accounting has taken since the 80s, really without having a term for it from the world of startups, The small business, the traditional small business of Aegis Accounting has always pivoted. When there's something new that's worth doing, we've changed. So that's key, I think, to success in small business. Um, One those opportunities and threats um, with a a light to your strengths and weaknesses and pivot when you need to. Now, I did say one uh, one part of the use of uh, SWOT analysis is in business planning and that brings me on to the so-called lean canvas. Lean Canvas is a form of business plan that I think is incredibly useful and I encourage everybody who needs to plan out either a product or a service or the business as a whole to start there. It's not a full business plan that uh, a potential investor or a lender might want to see. Um, Let's face it, that's a pitch document. You're trying to win funding. Put that aside. When you are thinking about how you are going to need to grow your business, and you want to get all those thoughts onto the page. You've got an idea, you've got an idea of a product or a service, you've got an idea of something, maybe, especially if it's not totally honed yet, hopefully it isn't before you've considered these, <laughs> these elements, uh, then you could do an awful lot worse than to have a look at the Lean Canvas as your first one page, uh, throw it out uh, and figure out if it works. Uh, certainly what we've done at EGC Accounting, when we thought of new products or services, new ways of packaging, what we do, we've really considered it this way. And it's part that's come out of uh, uh, lean startup methodology, um, and I, I, I really, really value it. Um, i just pick up the bit of paper that has my lean canvas on it. Um, I'll uh, For those of you on the video feed, you'll see one come up on screen about now, um, and that will show you what this one page really looks like, but I'll I'll go through them. If you're listening audio only, don't worry. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll read out the segments on it. Uh, going from left to right, there is a a chunk where you write out your problem, what the what the problem your product or service or business is aiming to solve, uh, what the solution is, um, what the key metrics you have to measure uh, your success, uh, what your unique Value proposition is, is what's you know, amazing about you, what's your unfair advantage, what's very hard for other people to copy, um, what channels you're going to use to reach customers and what customer segments you're looking for, um, and what your cost structure is and what your, your revenue streams are. It's not an in-depth thing, this should be something you could throw down quite quickly, certainly within an hour you should be able to consider this. Um, There's a bit of discussion about what order you should do these things in uh, because there is no perfect order. Um, But I think I have a preference for filling this thing out a little bit starting on the right hand side, especially starting with where we have issues to do with the uh, customer segments. So I think that in 2020, there are a lot of people who have an audience and a channel that they can use, that they can reach, and an opportunity for a new product or service. Maybe if you're a running business, then that's going to be true for you. You have customers, you have clients, uh, you have a channel to them, you can contact them at will. So then are there other products or services that you might uh, consider that you might also want to sell to those same clients? That might be what you're considering. I think uh, I took a lot of inspiration from Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Week. And one of the things he says there is try to lead with the people you're going to reach and the reason for this is quite simple that's a highly costly endeavor reaching people that you don't know is marketing ad spend it's it's a it's a lot of effort Um, you might think naively that you can easily get a free social media account and start putting content out like we're doing here but that doesn't mean you're going to have an audience It's going to take you time to build that. So you are going to have to invest in building the channel to the customer segment that you're targeting. Um, So maybe think about that first. Who can you already afford to reach? That could be a very useful uh, and instructive way of filtering out the many ideas you may have. the brain can be incredibly active maybe you're very creative and you have 100 ideas a minute about new business things that's great but if you can't reach anyone who would buy it any work that you do towards it might be in vain so e-discounting is an established business we are can solicit referrals uh, but we do need to do the the legwork of social media outreach of doing things like this podcast doing things um, of this nature that reach out to people and let them know we exist. We also need to advertise, uh, that comes at a cost. Um, and so we, we had to think carefully about what, what customer segment are we looking for. Uh, in particular, there's a little part there uh, to do with early adopters. Who, who makes a good early adopter of your product or service? It might be friends and family. Um, if you have a general product um, and you have a, gen- a small business that does a general product, maybe it's fitness, uh, maybe you start with friends and family doing some free sessions. And just helps you get out there a little bit. Um, And the earliest adopters who are paying customers, where where will they come from? So things to think through. But I think this uh, this is quite a it's quite a useful document. Um, It's a living document, much like the um, SWOT analysis we talked about earlier. The Lean Canvas is a living document. You're going to go back to it. You're going to change things. Uh, You're going to realise that some of the customer segments that maybe you wrote down weren't that interested and you're not going to target them anymore. You might strip them away and look only at one specific customer segment that's performed very well for you. Uh, Maybe there's just this ideal customer that you have managed to build a channel to uh, and that's all you're going to concentrate your your service or your product on now. Um, I think it's it's very useful and again it's because it's quick. If you can write down your customer segment, you're looking for is what channel you have to get to them. um, What uh, the problem it is that they're facing that you think you have a solution for, what that solution is, what you're going to offer, what the unique value proposition for you is. How much is that going to cost you to deliver and how are you going to monetize it through revenue streams? What metrics will you measure to see if you're being successful? Uh, look up pirate metrics if you're unsure. There's only five, it's helpful. Pirate metrics because are A, A, R, R, R. Quite memorable, really. But it's uh, key metrics that you can monitor that work for nearly every business. Uh, acquisition of new customers, activation of those customers that they use the services, gaining revenue from those customers, retaining them and gaining referrals. Um, any single metric that measures those It's a light reporting requirement, but it tells you nearly everything that's most important to know about how successful your business is being uh, as as you start up in particular. Um, And then the last element that I do, so I I mean, if if you're listening there, I sort of told you in order that I do this in, the customer segments and the channels I look at first and then the problem they're facing that I think I have a solution for, what my solution is and what the unique value proposition to us or to me is, um, what the cost, structure would be, what the revenue streams would look like. At this point I know if I can make it profitable or not, back of an napkin calculation, the aim is to be quick. What key metrics I would use to measure, but I think basically those five are good enough for everybody. And the last one, the unfair advantage, I think that one's quite tricky. I think the reason it's tricky for... the reason it can be tricky is it's not always necessary. I'd argue that you don't always need an unfair advantage. If you think of, uh, let's say you're a firm of uh, solicitors, professional services like accountants like solicitors are a, are a good one here, if you have one and they're doing a good job you're not necessarily looking to change that. It's a personal relationship thing and you sort of, it's low, what we call low churn. You're, you don't have much turnover of clients, clients that are happy stay, And clients that are unhappy, you lose them quickly. So you end up with a solid base of happy, staying clients, and then you seek to grow. In an environment like that, uh, you might find there's an awful lot of space for competition without any individual business being under threat of not surviving. You can have an awful lot of accountants or solicitors in a given city, and they're not really that much in competition because they're only competing for new customers. They already have a happy client base. And remember, if referrals are the biggest way you gain your custom, then there's really no competition there anyway. It's not as a result of your competitive uh, advertising that you gained that client, it's because you had a happy client who referred you. Um, and that will happen whether you're, you know, competitor A or competitor B. If you're doing a good service, it'll just happen. So that's, is not always the case that you need an unfair advantage but it can be quite useful if you have one. And I think if you do have an unfair advantage, especially if you're looking to scale and then you will attract the attention of larger competitors who do want to squash you or buy you, then you will want something that is hard to copy. So it may be something, a good example of something that is always hard to copy is something that relies very heavily on your personal narrative, especially if you're like, have a, if you're a small business of one, (laughs) and you have a cool idea and it comes from your unique history uh, that's going to be hard to replicate because there simply won't be that many people in that position. Um, If you are taking interest in the fact that you are, (laughs) if you're going to launch a business based on the fact that you love physics you also happen happen to be trained in hypnotism uh, and you uh, have a history in project management and you uh, structure a life-changing physics Study course uh, based on these principles, your unfair advantage is there isn't going to be anybody else doing that specific concentration of activities, it's incredibly rare. So yeah, you may just rely on your unique history, but it might be something that you've got there first, um, your unfair advantage. So for example, the unfair advantage for um, Aegis Accounting, the the voice bot that we made uh, that allows you to record these things by your voice alone, um, we're the first. You can't take the first away. We were the first. Great. Um, again, in Tim Ferriss's uh, book, The Four Hour Work Week, he refers to if a good marketing advantage if you're the first, the biggest of the best. Uh, these are good. Uh, biggest of the best is dependent upon uh, what your competitors are doing, but being the first, that's just getting there first. Then it's yours. I can put that in all my marketing materials. Fantastic. Um, So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's something else but I think if it if it relies upon uh, your personal histories and your personal histories are quite unique maybe that maybe that can be a helpful thing. Um, Or maybe you don't need an unfair advantage at all because maybe it's just a space where there is plenty of room for competition and each business can be successful. Maybe you aren't trying to blow up or die as many startups trying to do. Maybe it isn't a moonshot, maybe it's just a good normal solid small business and you can afford to have quality competition and you don't necessarily need an unfair advantage. But still, the Lean Canvas is a fantastic uh, little tool to work through. Through about an hour of sitting down with a pencil and paper you can take a product or a service from an idea through to something that you can actually start doing some more in-detail work as to decide uh, whether it's going to be successful or not. Yes, you want to run numbers more properly. Yes, you might need some of the features of a more in-depth business plan, but I uh, would not even start that unless you've done a, uh, a Lean Canvas first. That's, that's what I would do. If you want to know more about the Lean Canvas, its uh, original author, I believe, uh, has a website where you can do it interactively online. It's a great resource. I think it's free if you do one. Um, it's called Lean Stack. Go search that, you'll find it. It is very easy to fill out. Um, and uh, it structures it similar to how, how I did then so you'll think through your business opportunity that you're considering in a fairly logical way so I hope that you found that helpful we took a little bit, we talked a little bit about the uh, changing the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the uh, uncertainty around that how that might affect you how to handle uncertainty generally as a small business how to know when you might need to pivot take advantage of some new opportunity or to take action to mitigate some threat that's becoming an issue for your business Um, and the fact you need to monitor those two on a consistent uh, basis. And we've talked about the Lean Canvas, a fantastic one-page way of deciding uh, how to uh, structure a uh, business product or service. It's quite useful if you do it just per product. but if you're starting a business and you're starting it around one service product anyway, that's the same thing. But if you want to add different canvases for different products, I think that's helpful. It's helpful to think of each as its own set. Um, but anyway, it's a short activity to help you get a great, solid first plan. Certainly, if you can't solve any of the problems on that sheet, your business plan has a bit of an issue. If you can't figure out a cost structure that will uh, afford a revenue stream that the market's willing to pay, Uh, and make a profit, then maybe the ideas are no go. Um, So yeah, uh, I think that's great. Um, I hope that you've found any of that useful. Um, If so, you know what to do. Uh, We we have a very small audience at the moment. I'd really appreciate it if you could share this video to someone who you think, uh, or or audio if you're listening, uh, to someone who you think it will be useful for. um, That would be great. And of course, if you haven't already, please subscribe, all of that good stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening or watching.